Hello listeners. Welcome to Growth NX podcast. My name is Preeti Padmanabhan. I'm a marketing executive, angel investor and board member. Our goal here is to share book reviews, leadership insights to help you with your growth. Today, we're going to review the book Dare to Lead by Dr. Brené Brown. And we have the pleasure of having a guest, a special guest, Robin Garcia Amaya. Thank you, Robin, for joining us here today. Thank you, Preeti, for having me. Well, let's get started. Would love to hear about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely, I'm happy to, and and so thrilled to be here. This is one of my favorite books and favorite authors, so I think it'll be a great discussion. So, as Preeti, you mentioned, um, I'm Robin. I work at a, a company called Gainsight. We're a customer success software company. And, you know, my, my kind of quick background, professionally at least, is I, I started my career early on working in a hedge fund in executive talent acquisition. So started my journey there. And I think back often to vulnerability and, and bravery in that environment, which was really my first taste of it professionally, which we'll, we'll talk more about. And then most recently, like I said, I'm at Gainsight. I'm our vice president and chief of staff, and I also lead all of our global philanthropy. Oh my God, you wear too many hats, Robin. <laughs> I think we all wear too many hats. <laughs> that is true. That is wonderful. Uh, great to have you join us. So tell us about this particular book, Dare to Lead. Why did you choose to read it? And why is it one of your favorite books? This book, I, I guess I would start with Brene Brown. I Really, anything that she puts out, I will be delighted to read. I was first introduced to the concept of Brene's leadership. When I joined Gainsight, the CEO of Gainsight, his name's Nick Maida, he, um, he kind of turned me on to Brene Brown's concept of vulnerability. And he often talks about it in the context of being a leader and being a CEO. And he talks a lot about being human first. Our mission statement at Gainsight is that you can be living proof, that you can win in business while being human first that basically those two things coexist. They aren't mutually exclusive. And so the concept of being brave and, and being bold and being vulnerable really kind of sits at the intersection of winning in business, leading in business, and being human first in you, you know, how you operate. And so I was introduced to Brene Brown's concepts through our CEO and also this idea of vulnerability. And I think I've been entrenched in all things Brene Brown ever since. Actually, even for me, I got introduced to vulnerability and Brene Brown uh, through an ex-CEO, Dheeraj Pandey of Nutanix. So that's a common story we have there. Let's talk about the book itself. Uh, the book starts with an overview of brave leaders. What are some qualities of a brave leader and how does one aspire to be a brave leader? I love that question. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is this word ego. I think all of us have ego and all of us have pride and pride and ego gets a bad rap. But what I would say is a, a brave leader is someone who's willing to harness the power of their ego and not, you know, try and be someone who doesn't have any pride in their work or, or is egoless, but someone who can, like I said, harness the power of what you do and how you do it and manifest that into persevering for what you believe in and holding your team accountable, both courageously and empathetically. And, you know, making sure that you're a strong, deep advocate for both yourself and for your team. I think you, you are your own best advocate. 
And that takes bravery and that takes courage and that takes a, a bit of pride in, in knowing what you're worth and what you're good at. And so I think I would say, you know, those, those three components all with this, this category of harnessing that power of who you are and your ego in the best connotation possible is how I, I sort of see brave leadership in one of many ways for me. That is very interesting. The whole aspect of ego, which certainly can be used for good or for the wrong reason, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I love how you talked about empathy. We'll dig more into that too. You know, how can you have empathy and be courageous at the same time? So Brenny says during her research, and she's done hours of hours of research on the leadership topic, that uh, when she did the interviews with several leaders and asked them, what do they see as courage skills they were looking for in people? They, in fact, told more about what would get in the way of trust and courage. Tell us about some of those behaviors Brené talks about that gets in the way of being trusting and courageous. This is the perfect question, I guess, to segue from, from what you just asked, which I touched on the concept of ego. And I, I might actually bring that back into this question as well. I believe personally from, from my experience and what I've seen that, that a lack of willingness to find a balance between assertiveness and open-mindedness, and I do think ego can be at the center of that when you're not open-minded and you're overly assertive and the goal is to be right rather than to figure out what is right, regardless of whether it's you or another teammate and put the best interest of the company ahead of all. I think that's really at the, the nexus of, of what it takes to, uh, or, the, or the skill I would say that a courageous leader really needs to sort of let, let your ego and your need to be the person who had the answer, which I think is a really early in your career problem that a lot of people have. You sort of lose that willingness to be in touch with your shoshin, which is actually a, one of Gainsight's values. It's a Japanese word for beginner's mind. And you lose that touch of just beginner's mind and the willingness and it being okay to be wrong in the journey of exploration of what the best path is forward for the mutual collective goals. And so I think that that, you know, that behavior and the inability to find that nexus between assertiveness and open mindedness is one of the, the key things that I see get in the way of building trust and courage both in yourself, but then also in the people who you, you work directly with. Wow, that is beautiful. Balancing, being assertive and being open minded. I'm going to dig a little deeper here. Um, how did you do that in your career? Listen a lot. I consider myself a, a very extroverted thinker. I could spend 10 minutes on a meaty problem talking it out with someone. And that would be the equivalent of me spending six hours solo in my own thoughts trying to solve it. So for me, it, it really manifests, like I touched on at the beginning, is being a strong listener. There is so much to learn. And I think there is more and more to learn the more senior you get in your career if you harness the power of being a active listener. And what I mean by active listening is, and Brene touches on this as well, which is the, the concept of listen and listen deeply and thoughtfully and with intention versus finding space and quiet to think about the next thing or your response to whatever the person is talking about at that given moment. And then be comfortable with the space and the silence that comes along with it. It invites 
vulnerability and openness in the person. But aside from that, it also invites people to solve some of their own problems in ways that you might not have seen. And so I think that balance of, you know, your question of how do I see open-mindedness versus assertiveness, I think dial back the assertiveness and dial up the open-mindedness. It really, it can't hurt. The other end of the spectrum can kind of ruin a relationship, I think, quite quickly. And the ability to actually make someone feel heard, listen with that, like I touched on the Shoshin mindset, that beginner's mind with a willingness to be comfortable in the silence, I think is a, a superpower. Wow. That's amazing. You know, one of the challenges I have faced is uh, when we are being present and when we are listening, different cultures have different ways of speaking. Some cultures speak very fast and some cultures speak slow. I've had to balance how I communicate and at the same time to uh, share some learnings to say, okay, it is okay to pause. Like you said, right? It's okay to be in that silence and listen, uh, let them speak. So Let's shift to courage cultures, because uh, this whole book is about brave leadership, courage cultures for the organization. Why is it important to have a culture of courage in the organization? And how does one build a culture of courage? That's such a, such a thoughtful question. The first word that comes to mind is the concept of psychological safety, which I know that that Google was the, the impetus of that concept and it's really taken flight in many organizations. And I believe a culture is courageous when your team feels safe enough to share their opinions openly and candidly and be vulnerable enough that they're open to being wrong. And, and uh, you know, Brene talks about lots of cultures having this fail fast and, and being fearless to make mistakes because that's how innovation is born. And buzzwords aside, I think there's, there's really, that's the special sauce. But telling someone on paper, one of our values is to fail fast, don't be afraid of failure, is different than creating an inherent culture where someone feels respected and safe and valued and knows that with failure comes development and that it's not only encouraged, but you are in a, a space where you won't fall through the cracks if you do fail. In fact, you have leaderships and leadership and, and teammates who are there to help diagnose and figure out what didn't work the first time so that collectively we all develop and, and elevate ourselves to the next level because of those experiences. That's, that's just one. And I'll go back just because I think it's such a skill that is, is missing in so many leaders. I mean, I could think of 10 off the top of my head, which is that concept of active listening. And I'll just touch on it in a bit of a different way. I think that is an opportunity for compassion and connection. And it tells the, the person who you're working with, particularly when you're a senior leader and someone either reports to you or often looks up to you in, the, in an organization that there's no shame in sharing ideas and they may or may not be right, but we're going to actively engage in a conversation about them in an effort to really invest back in the person. I picture this as an investment, active listening, the dialogue and, and the concept that whatever I'm sharing is worth your time enough for you to respond to it rather than correct me on something that you might've had 20 years of experience in and I have 20 minutes of a, of a dialogue on. 
you shared multiple nuggets there. You know, one is about codifying what the culture really means and the point about failing fast and being okay to fail. So great, great inputs on how to build courage cultures. So we have pretty much now talked about the initial part of the book and the rest of the book had four courage skills that Brené Brown talks about. And also the first part is about rumbling with vulnerability. So tell us what does rumbling with vulnerability mean to you? That's such a great question. And it's one of my favorite phrases in the book, that concept of rumbling with vulnerability. I love her choice of word, which I I believe is very intentional, that feeling of rumble. When I think of rumble, I think of an earthquake or some some sort of natural disaster where the the earth is shaking. and, And if you were to really play that out from a psychological standpoint, to me, it, it feels like the earth underneath you, your safety net, the thing that keeps you safe and warm, your house, whatever that, that physical structure is, something is unsteady. And I like Brene's concept of rumbling with vulnerability because inherently that rumble and that feeling of insecurity can manifest into a superpower. And this is, I think, her whole concept of vulnerability being something that is so business critical to innovation. Because when you rumble, when you experience that discomfort of the the earth crumbling around you, many times something new and spectacular comes out of the cracks that are formed. And um, many times things that are really uncomfortable come out of those cracks too. But I do believe that there are moments of just total brilliance that that show up in the in this discomfort. And you're only going to get that if you're willing to thrive in those moments of lack of structure and lack of foundation. And, and that happens when you're willing to be vulnerable. And I would say for me personally, some of my most catalytic career moments and some of my most proud life choices are because of surrounding myself by people who encourage that sense of vulnerability and create safety in the rumble. That's wonderful. It's like, you know, when, uh, when you go through the rough, you become a diamond, right? When, so, (laughs) so you go through that rumble and going through the ups and downs, uh, certainly something all of us go through and to come up on top, that whole ability for us to be vulnerable. Uh, In fact, uh, I'd love to dig deeper in that, uh, you know, Brené talks about the square squad, like taking a small square, (laughs) maybe one inch by one inch, uh, and then writing a bunch of names of people that you can be vulnerable with. Did you actually do that? I didn't do it on a physical piece of paper, but I could probably do it right now. And you know what? I, I would say there's there's so much in, intention around it. I would I would invite there to be different shades of vulnerability. I might use a different tone of vulnerability with my husband than I would use in a business setting. Both of them are rooted in vulnerability. And Brene talks about this early in the book that it, it has to look authentic to you. And so I believe I'm someone who's willing to thrive in vulnerability, but I'll also tell you that the way that I'm vulnerable now is not the way I was vulnerable five years ago because I have more confidence in my career and my self-worth and my ability to, to go after things that are bigger and braver and bolder and scarier and require what feels like more vulnerability on my part in order to, to achieve what I believe is greatness. And also, you know, you mentioned earlier about how the company and the CEO are encouraging 
the behavior of being vulnerable. So that also makes a huge difference because uh, Brené talks about the six myths of vulnerability, one of it being, I don't do vulnerability. When somebody goes with that attitude that they don't do vulnerability, and if anybody in the team has that attitude, it makes it more harder. But if the, if the people around you are also being vulnerable, then that means the team has psychological safety. That's certainly the nirvana that you know, we need to aspire towards. So let's go to part two. Uh, from talking about rumbling with vulnerability, Brene now moves to living into our values. And she talks about identifying our values first. So how does one identify their value and practice them? I've often in my career used the concept of what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you aren't willing to compromise on? And those should be at the core of every decision that you make. They could be the same in your personal life as they are in your professional life. They could change over time. What's non-negotiable 10 years ago might not be non-negotiable anymore because your living situation has changed. Your priorities have changed. So I think the two key components are to ask yourself, what's non-negotiable in my life? Maybe if, if you find that word, my values, to be very meta and, and, and big and, and almost, you know, Brene talks about how many leaders come up with 10 or 20 of these values. And really the idea is to think about what those core one, two, or three things are. So I often try and rephrase it. And then the, the second is to be flexible. Like I said, know that they're fluid and they can change and, and your priorities as a human change over time and over the course of your life. And so I, I think kind of encompassing those two criteria certainly have helped me think about it over time and I think are a really good tool toolkit to have in your back pocket. I love it. I love that whole shift of thinking of it as non-negotiable. But you, you're right. The word value can be heavy and people might get uh, thrown off by it. Uh, that's a great idea. I, in, in fact, do you mind sharing one or two of your non-negotiables? Yes. My, my favorite one is courageous candor is what, you know, how, how I would... And I might even actually add, as I'm thinking about sort of this concept of psychological safety, a lot of times for me, it shows up as compassionate candor. And for some conversations that I have in business, I can think of a teammate right now where I needed a little bit more courageous candor than compassionate candor because of sort of the, the modus operandi of this person. But a lot of times, especially for leaders who are, are wanting to be brave and vulnerable, the compassion component is what leads to caring and consideration. And I firmly believe that you can be honest with someone and also communicate tough critical feedback in a way that's genuine, that's honest to you, but also takes into consideration how the person might feel on the receiving end. And that to me is not sugarcoating, that is communicating with intention. And so for me, as someone who really prides themselves on being a total open book, I really appreciate and actively solicit feedback. And I also expect that others will do the same and view it as, as a gift to that person, but only if I'm willing to take the time and think about how to do it well and do it in their language, if you will. That's great. I love it. I, I love that. I think I'm, I'm going to add that courage, courageous candor. I'm going to add that into my list of uh, uh, non-negotiables. So let's move on to part three on braving trust. 
what does braving trust mean? And she talks about something called the braving inventory. Would love to get your thoughts on the scene. So the the braving inventory, it's something that that interestingly we have adopted at Gainsight as part of the way that we're thinking about meetings in general and particularly the meaty meetings where you're talking about metrics and business review. And oftentimes people may come in with a certain level of fear or defensiveness or um, discomfort and feel sort of like you're on, you're on the block and your data is here for the, for the picking by the rest of the teammates. We tend to have very inclusive meetings. And so we bring a lot of people into the fold. Um, We share a lot of data and a lot of metrics. We're still a privately held company. So I think we really rotate to the end of a high level of transparency. But with that comes a lot of opportunities to break down in this model of braving and the ability to set clear boundaries and and hold someone accountable, but also doing it with the eye and braving of of integrity um, without compromising those. That's kind of, that goes back to that balance of assertiveness and open-mindedness that we talked about a little bit earlier in the conversation. And the one letter that I'll draw out is the V in braving, which is this, that concept of being a vault, vault closing. In my role as, as chief of staff, a lot of times people come to me and I would say 90% of the conversations I have that pop onto the calendar start with, I want to share something with you, but it has to stay confidential. And then after that is a, a whole series of frustrations and some of them valid and some of them not. And it's, it's a leader's job and not just me in this circumstance, but it's, it's my job and a leader's job to figure out how to marry confidentiality with also helping this person and the business to be really productive by empowering them to be their own best advocate so that it's not your vault that is opening the information, but it's, it's your vault that has created a dynamic between you and that other person so that they feel like it's a, a judgment-free zone and and you are generous with your time, which is that G in braving. Um, but you're also being clear with them that, that there are... Um, there are boundaries to this relationship. You know, if someone comes to me with a a true HR issue, it is our job to protect our teammates and make sure that we're there for them. So I could go on for days. This Braving Framework has been, our acronym has been so instrumental in in how we operate sort of from a, a communications standpoint internally. Wow, that seems like a huge responsibility to be a vault for so many people. (laughs) <laughs> Some days, yes, but it, it gives me a lot of joy um, to be trusted with, with some of these pain points and issues that our teammates have. So I, I very much view it as an honor. Let's look at part four, the last part after we finish rumbling with vulnerability, living our values and braving trust is learning to rise. Here she talks about owning our own story. Can you tell a little bit about that? I I think this just goes back to the the willingness to be your authentic self in all of its uncomfortable moments. For me, I very much believe that I can live with myself if I've done it the wrong way, as long as I've done it in a way that feels authentic and honest and, and true to sort of my core values. And it's a really good gut check as you're learning to rise and you're figuring out what your own story is check yourself, check back with those 
core values that you've created. And I would encourage you that your core values don't have to be your company's values. You may be totally aligned, but these should be something that are really true and, and um, personal to you. And they make a lot of sense. They feel like something that really makes you tick. And so as you develop your own story, check back with those values consistently. Is the path that you're building, is the story that you're telling for yourself authentic to who you want to be as a leader? And if they're not, then think about a course correct correction. Think about who's in your vault. Who can you ask for feedback and coaching? Who's got that safe space for you that's on your little one-by-one -one post-it note of people who you can be really raw and really vulnerable with? And use those people um, because you don't have to be in it alone. And I, I look back and, you know, I, I think of a lot of the uncomfortable moments I've had in my career and many of them, oftentimes when you're looking for a new job or asking for a promotion that you know you deserve or asking for a pay raise that you believe you should have gotten six months ago, whatever it is for, for you as a person, um, as long as you're owning your story and how you want to create it, and surrounding yourself by the people and the partners that will help you to be held accountable to doing it in that way, I think the sky is the limit. Your authentic self, how can you be authentic to yourself? And that reflects on people around you. Fantastic. Robin, it was great to have you on the podcast here today. So listeners, Dare to Lead, highly encourage you to pick it up and check it out. Brave Work, Tough Conversations, Whole Hearts by Dr. Brené Brown. Thank you all for tuning in today.